Well, good morning, church family. And if this is your first uh, Sunday here at Windsor Road, I just uh, want to extend to you a warm welcome this Labor Day weekend. The last few days have just been absolutely beautiful, and I hope that uh, you find this to be a beautiful day too. And and uh, it's beautiful to get to worship with you all. My name is Randy, and I'm privileged to be the lead minister here at the church. And if you are new, I'd love to meet you. Uh, we've got a room called the Fireside Room that's just outside these glass doors and to the right. And uh, it would be a, just a privilege for me to pray with you uh, or, or encouragements or any concerns that you have uh, and just to um, shake your hand and meet you. I'd love to do that. We're just delighted to have you here. Uh, our elders are here up front after our services, too, for prayer and encouragement. And so uh, we just want to love on you. Uh, it's good to be with you in worship. We're in a series of messages on prayer, the subject of prayer. Specifically, it's titled Jesus on Prayer. So we're looking at uh, those particular passages from the Bible that Jesus taught on. And this morning, we're going to look at a, a very familiar prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, uh, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. You'll find that on page 811 of your church Bibles. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word uh, to call your own, I, we'd love for you to have a copy. There's a copy in the pouch in front of you, and if you'll just take it and put your name in it, uh, it's yours, and we would be happy for you to have it as a gift from the church. Um, Matthew 6, 1 through 15, Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is God's Word. Amen. 
So once there was a young student who was practicing his scales on a piano that looked something like this, and his teacher was sitting there, and this student began to be bored playing the scales. And finally just said to the teacher, I'm bored playing these scales. I don't want to play these scales anymore. I want to play, I want to play like Van Cliburn. Van Cliburn. That famous concert pianist from Texas, no less. Time Magazine once said of Van Cliburn that he was the Texan who conquered Russia. Yeah, because he was that good. And when he took his tour there to, that, to the former Soviet Union, he just amazed the crowds. And they loved him. And, and that little student said, I want to play like Van Cliburn. I'm tired of doing these scales. To which his teacher wisely said, well... I don't know, I don't know if you will be able to play the piano like Van Cliburn. I, very few people have been able to master this instrument like Van Cliburn mastered this instrument. Um, so I don't know if you can play like Van Cliburn. But I know, I know this. You can play the scales like Van Cliburn. <laughs> and I know this. Van Cliburn did not become Van Cliburn until he so mastered the scales that it just became a part of his soul. The tones, the sounds, the music just became a part of his soul. So why don't we play the scales now? <laughs> now, church family, the Lord's Prayer is our scales. It's a prayer that can walk with you in any and every season of your spiritual life. It's a prayer for this beautiful weekend that we've had. Sunny, late summer, open your windows, cool nights. And it's also a prayer for February. Gray, dark, cold, bitter February. It's for all seasons. And Jesus wants us to master this prayer. Actually, Jesus wants us to be mastered by this prayer. And this prayer has rescued me from two guilt trips when it comes to a prayer life. And maybe you've suffered from one of these guilt trips. The first guilt trip is the, um, I wish I were more disciplined guilt trip. I wish I could, oh, if only I could pray 30 minutes at the beginning of my day, undistracted, 
then I will have achieved a mark of spiritual maturity as if somehow that in itself is the mark. And I'm not knocking 30 minutes at prayer time. It's a great way to start the day. God is also concerned about the other 23 and a half hours of your day. And that's what makes the Lord's prayer uh, so valuable to us. That we can take the Lord's prayer with us throughout the day. Uh, I'm thinking of something Charles Spurgeon once said. That famous preacher in uh, the 19th century in London. Charles Spurgeon, giant, of a, a spiritual giant of a pastor. He once said, I never pray more than five minutes at a time. I never pray more than five minutes at a time. But I pray every five minutes. So the point here of our series is not just a flourishing prayer life, but a flourishing praying life. That throughout the day, I, and the Lord's prayer is just that kind of a prayer where uh, I, I can bring it with me and pray it on the way to work and pray it between appointments and pray it to, uh, when it's a, a, a Beautiful conversation with a friend or pray it before a very stressful conversation. It's a prayer that can walk with me all throughout the day. On into, it can be the last prayer that I pray in the evening, the Lord's Prayer. So, so it's a discipline of a different kind, isn't it? But I wonder if, uh, I wonder if it's the second guilt trip that as a congregation, we struggle with. And I, I sense this just from conversations that I hear and are reported to me just about struggles with your spiritual walk. And, and it's this guilt trip right here. It's the, well, I wish I could be more original in my prayers. Guilt trip. I wish, I, I wish my prayers were as fresh as so-and-so's prayers. Or I wish my prayers were as eloquent as so-and-so's. I wish my prayers could be as creative as. I, I wish I were more original. I wish I were uh, creative. And, and um, I was helped in my study this morning, or not this morning, but last week when I was uh, working through this message. And because I was struggling, I said, what is there fresh to say about the Lord's Prayer? I mean, what is there creative to say about the Lord's Prayer? How can I be creative about this? And one of, my, one of the commentators, uh, Scott McKnight, he wrote his commentary. For the pastor who happens to be preaching on the Lord's Prayer soon, don't be fresh. Don't be creative. These are the scales. These are the basics. You don't have to worry about being original in your prayer. Use this prayer. You mean recite this prayer? Yes. Recite, you can never go wrong when you pray the Scripture. And use the phrases of this prayer, develop them, uh, personalize them, expound upon them in your times with the Lord. And then I learned this. I learned that the first half of the Lord's Prayer was not original to Jesus. In other words, what I'm saying is he's drawing from his Hebrew heritage and from the Hebrew scriptures when he taught us this prayer. 
uh, there is a prayer that's an ancient prayer in Hebrew history called uh, the Kaddish. Let's look at that. On three, let's everybody say Kaddish. One, two, three. Kaddish. Okay, now you know Aramaic. All right? So this is that prayer. Kaddish means holy in Aramaic. Exalted and hallowed be his great name in the world which he created according to his will. May he rule his kingdom in your lifetime and in your days and in the lifetime of the whole house of Israel speedily and soon. And to this say, Amen. Now that sounds strangely familiar to the first part of the Lord's Prayer. Well, it's because Jesus was reaching into his heritage and into the Hebrew Scriptures. Ezekiel 36, 23. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. That phrase, vindicate their holiness, means hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. So Jesus is reaching into his heritage and into the Hebrew Scriptures as he teaches us about prayer. So you don't need to worry about, uh, uh, you know, thinking up a creative, fresh prayer. You just need to worry about having a fresh heart before the Lord. There is no such thing as a stale prayer, just a stale heart. How's your heart? How's your heart? So we use the Lord's Prayer as a, as a discipline or an order to order our thoughts and our hearts in prayer. And so here's the order. The Lord's Prayer consists of an introduction and then two major parts and then a conclusion. And that's it. An introductory invocation and then the first major part is the thou portion of the Lord's Prayer, the vertical portion of the Lord's Prayer. And there are three petitions in that major section. And then there is the horizontal portion of the Lord's Prayer, the we part of the prayer. And can't you hear echoes of the two greatest commandments in all of Scripture? Loving God. Loving people? Can't you hear echoes of the Ten Commandments? Huh? The first part of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with God. And then the second part of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with one another. So you see, the Lord's Prayer echoes that. And so let's just kind of walk through this prayer this morning, uh, beginning with God our Father. The Lord's Prayer begins vertically with God our Father, His name, His kingdom, His will. Our Father in heaven. Now, I've made it a point each Sunday in this series to make sure we know that as far as God is concerned, our primary relationship with Him is not God our shepherd, or God our Creator, or God our Judge, but God our Father. God our 
Abba, Father, our dear Father, dear Father. Jesus says that, that my Father is your Father. So he, our elder brother, we're in his family by his grace. And to teach the intimacy of the father-child relationship is not to exhaust all there is about the image of God's fatherhood. In fact, I'll tell you this. The very first image of the fatherhood of God is really not cuddly cozy at all. It shows up in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, when God sent Moses to Pharaoh with a message. And it's in this particular verse that we see the fatherhood of God, Exodus 4, 22 and 23. Then you, Moses, shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. That's pretty in your face, isn't it? But to say God our Father is to agree that there is a custody fight for your life. Just as in here. And God the Father says to Pharaoh, Israel is my son, not your slave. Release my son or else. So I grew up in Tulsa. I've got two brothers, Robbie, Randy, Ricky. And my folks uh, lived in a house that was about 1,100 square feet. Uh, no central air. In Tulsa, attic fan. They bought it in 1958 for $12,000. 15-year mortgage, $89 a month payment. We were about three blocks from a shopping center, Eastgate Shopping Center. Sipes Grocery Store. A TGNY, it's kind of like a five and dime. And then there was a barber shop. The barber shop is still there. I was driving my mom by last month, and there it was. Well, when we were growing up, dad sent us on an errand. I must have been 10. We went to Sipes to get something. Only a few blocks from the house. On our way back, just outside the shopping center, we ran into some punks. That's how my dad later called them. And they started harassing us and bullying us. And they kind of detained us. Kind of scary. Finally got home. Dad said, what took you so long? He said, Dad, these, 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 we, we, kept, we, we, picked, we, we were kind of picked on us and everything. And so, and we were telling what happened. And all of a sudden, like, my dad's eyes started to glow. 
And then, you know, smoke started coming out of his ears. And he said, get in the car. So he got in the Chevy Impala. Got in that car. We drove to the shopping center, three blocks, shopping center. He said, are those boys still there? Oh, excuse me, are those punks still there? Yeah, Dad, point him out. There they are. He gets out of the car. He says, I understand you've been picking on my sons. And one of them had a cigarette in his mouth, junior high punk, had a cigarette in his mouth. He said, yeah, what's it to you? Hey, watch your lip. I don't want you picking on my, come over here when I'm talking. Hey, you don't have to tell me. I'm telling you, you get over here when I'm talking to you. And my dad, he reached out and he took the cigarette out of the kid's hand and put it on the ground. My dad had a t-shirt on and a pair of shorts and a, those nylon crew socks. He didn't have any shoes on. He stepped on the cigarette like that. I'll never forget that. And he said, watch your lip, I said, or I'm going to take you home. He said, and the kid would not let up. He pushed back. You don't, have to, you don't tell me what to do, mister. All right, you're going. So my dad grabs this kid in a hold. He had his, he, I, just, I just remember, he, he kind of wrapped the kid up like this. He put his, and lifted him off the ground and, and said, okay, you're going, you're going. He just stopped that mister. Stop that, quit that. You're going, I said. And then, and then just put me down. Okay, okay. And he dropped him. And he said, You stay away from my sons, and I don't ever want to see you messing around with them again. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. And then they scurried off, you know. And my brother Rick and I, we were just kind of looking at each other. What was that? You know, we've never seen this side of our dad before. All right. And then, you know, as Kind of they were scurrying off, you know, we were, yeah, loser. <laughs> you ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. My dad just shook his head, as he did many times when we were growing up. But to say our father is to is to know that he is unintimidated before the pharaohs of this world. To say our Father is to believe him when he says with absolutely no reluctance or hesitation whatsoever, I told you to free my son, now do so or else. To say, I, to say our Father is, is to believe that he fights for us. So to say our Father is more than just Comfort and familiarity, it's revolutionary. To say our Father is more than just palliative, it's provocative. It's hope. It is hope. Hope for a better future. Hope for being released from the past. Hope for life that is truly life. And why? Hallowed be thy name. That's why. In other words, God is not like us, and we are not like God. And doesn't that take us back to the very first sin in all of Scripture? The sin of presuming to be like God. We try to make ourselves like God in one of two ways. Either we try to bring Him down to our level. Well, I like to think of God in my heart as, oh, really? We reduce him, we, we remake him, refashion him 
in a way that we like. Is that not called idolatry? Or we try to grasp at God, uh, as in the Tower of Babel, trying to build something to, to reach and become like Him. And you know what? Either way is an attempt to erase the otherness of our Heavenly Father. And there is no erasing the otherness of our Heavenly Father. We can't get rid of His holiness. Neither way works. Hallowed be thy name. He is other. He is sacred. He is our Father. He fights for us. He is other than us. And of course, that leads to us praying, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so this is a searching and demanding part of the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Because you, you, you can't pray this prayer without first thinking of, Oh Lord, let this start with me. I want your kingdom and your will to be accomplished in my life. Lord, use me. Start with me. Make me fully obedient. Show me where I fit in your world, in your kingdom, and use me to extend your kingdom and your will. Let me be the means of answering this part of your prayer. So you see, the purpose of prayer is not to align God's will with my will. It's to align myself with God's will. God has a will, independent of my will. He has a rule. He has influence. He has power. He has glory. And he wants that to overtake the earth. God wants to reverse the effects of this broken world. And so to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is to pledge allegiance to what God is doing, even though we may not understand totally what he's up to. He's stronger and wiser, and we can trust him. We can trust him. And we, we must align our lives with his life. And if you've ever wondered what's behind our ministry activities here at Windsor Road, beyond our Sunday worship experience, it's really this right here. You know, why did we spend last Sunday afternoon with our sister congregation uh, at Canaan Baptist Church promoting the safe house? Why did we do that? Why do we send teams out on missions trips? Why, why do we have small groups that gather for prayer and spiritual nourishment? Why? Why, why every Friday do 50 gather to uh, ask God's will and sovereignty over our hurts and habits and hang-ups in Celebrate Recovery? Why, why, why do we have a family life ministry where we want to start very early on forming God's will and God's kingdom into the hearts of the children to whom he's entrusted to us for such a short time. Why do we do all of this? The goal is not busy church activities. The goal is that God's sovereign kingdom might overtake this world. And it began with the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of our King Jesus and the sending of his Holy Spirit upon his people to be his temple and to overtake the earth. It was inaugurated uh, on that first Easter weekend and it will one day be consummated with the appearing of our King when he will remake and reconstruct the new heavens and the new earth forever. Praise be him. So then, in the meantime, how do Exodus people live? How do liberty people live? How do people who have been redeemed and rescued from the dominion of darkness conduct themselves? 
Well, prayer in the Father's name and prayer for the Father's will and prayer that God's kingdom might come, that kingdom has already arrived and is being realized. That's what's going on. And Jesus wants us to pray this way because his prayer starts with God, with being amazed at who God is and what he's doing. And it starts with adoring the God who has rescued us it's, it, it, it continues with the God who began a good work in us and will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. Effective prayer begins vertically with our Father God. And church family, I, I love you. I love you. And I want to tell you that some of you are frustrated with God because you're not getting what's on your list. And you're either mad, or you're scared, or both. And you will continue to be so until you surrender your miserable burden of believing that you know what's best for you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. That's what we're doing when we pray for God's will and God's kingdom to come. The purpose of the Lord's prayer is to heal your perspective. My problem is that I think my perspective's right. And that disease, which I call Randy-itis, needs to be healed. And the Lord's Prayer does that. What's your version of Randy-itis? This prayer will heal that. Lord, I feel like I know what's best and I'm scared and I'm mad. But when I open your word, your word of truth, it's clear to me that I don't know what's best. You know what's best. So God, I surrender that. So the Lord's Prayer is not about trying to get things from God. It's about trying to get God. How would you feel if, if the only thing your kids wanted were your gifts and not you? So this wonderful prayer begins vertically with God's name and God's um, kingdom and with God's will. And then it proceeds horizontally. It proceeds horizontally. As I admit my weaknesses and frailties, both physically and spiritually, asking God for His help. So we pray, our Father, give us, forgive us, deliver us, us, we, our, not just me. Prayer's not just a solo flight. It's about family. It's about the community of the redeemed. Give us this day our daily bread. And this is manna talk going on. 
This is the kind of prayer that God's people of old prayed. Because God does care about your physical body. He made you. And we ask God for daily help with these bodies that He's made. And in Christ, who is the bread of heaven, through His Spirit living and working in and through us, you know, we pray this prayer and then it dawns on us that you know, we can be the answer to this prayer in the lives of others. We can be a source of help. We can share because we've been given so much. So God, give us. You are a father, you know. Give us. And then forgive us. Forgive us our trespasses, our sin debts, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now this line says something about Jesus first before it says something that we need to hear. What it says about Jesus is, Jesus is saying, you do not need to go to the temple in Jerusalem for matters pertaining to the forgiveness of sins. Christ is saying, I am that temple. That was radical and revolutionary back then. I am the meeting place between God and people, and I declare the forgiveness of sins. I declare jubilee in my name, our forgiveness of your sins and debts. And... What is the test of knowing whether or not I have received God's grace and forgiveness? What is that test? It's how we treat others, right? This is the only section of the Lord's Prayer with a footnote. That's verses 14 and 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, Jesus is not saying that we earn forgiveness when we do the work of forgiving. That's not what he's saying. He, he's saying what later the Apostle John would say. You can't love your invisible Father if you choose not to love your very visible brother or sister. Can't. It's a, it's a contradiction in terms. And so to ask forgiveness for my trespasses means that I need to pay more attention to my trespasses than my wife's trespasses or my boss's trespasses or my parents' trespasses or my former spouse's trespasses. Paul David Tripp is a pastor who wrote, as we lose sight of our daily need for forgiveness, we quit being so willing to forgive others. As, as we quit forgiving others and putting away their offenses, we start to keep a record of their wrongs. And as we keep a daily record of their wrongs, we're increasingly aware of how much we're affected by their weaknesses and failures. And as we hold this awareness within us, we become increasingly irritated, impatient, and intolerant with others. So we deal with our disappointment with others by protecting ourselves from them with distance and busyness, living in networks of terminally casual relationships. A mutual commitment to give grace daily is the only hope for a relationship of a sinner to a sinner, which is the only kind of relationship there is. And prayer reminds us of God's call to love and forgive, and it reminds us that that 
call is most needed when it is undeserved. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh, what a prayer of vulnerability. God, protect me. God, place guardrails in my life that would keep me from self-destructive behavior or self-induced suffering or self-inflicted pain. God, I'm weak. God, I'm foolish. God, I get confused. God, protect me from me. And to pray this prayer, to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is to confess that the biggest problem in my life is not outside myself. It's not. It's inside. It's the sin in my heart where I'm tempted, where I'm deceived, where I'm enslaved again and again. So, Lord, guard my heart because my heart wants to think things I have no business thinking. My heart wants to desire things I have no business desiring. My heart wants to feel things I have no business feeling. My heart wants to do things I have no business doing. Is this part of the Lord's Prayer totally destroys finger-pointing and, and it's your fault and the blame game that paralyzes us all. When we really slow down and contemplate each of these phrases, <laughs> I'm so glad Jesus Christ died for my sins. And rose. Now here's a practical way to use the Lord's Prayer. Number one, pray the Bible. We've talked about this the last two weeks. But listen, you can never go wrong praying Scripture. And, and what might that look like? Well, you know, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, in that first portion, Lord... Give, help me, God. Give me, a, give, give me the ability to give in a way that's not self-promoting. Help me pray in a way that's not self-promoting. God, I want to enjoy you in private more than I enjoy praying to you and about you in front of others. Lord, please take charge of my public relations department. You take charge of that, see. Pray the Bible. And then, number two, pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, either verbatim or pause at each of those phrases as we have done throughout this message and personalize them or develop them in a way that impacts your heart and soul. Pray the Bible. Pray the Lord's Prayer. And then just Tell God what's on your heart. Just pray whatever's on your heart. And that three-part approach can take you 30 minutes. It can take you 60 minutes. It can take you five minutes every five minutes. I, you know? And then, wow, if that happened during the week, individually, a thousand of us, Practicing that, that discipline, that loving discipline of, of 
praying the Bible and praying the Lord's Prayer and telling God what's on our heart, then, then, and, and, if we, and if we focused on doing that every day, and then we gather on Sunday to talk about what that's like. You know what that's called, church? That's called worship. It's called worship. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, Jesus says. Well, actually, this concluding doxology, word of praise, was later added by the church as a conclusion in their time of worship. It's biblically based, so we can pray this with confidence. But here's what you need to know. These words, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, were also spoken of Augustus Caesar, who had turned an agrarian Roman republic into a fierce and mighty world empire. One that would be at peace for two centuries. The peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. No one had ever accomplished that. He was thought to be a god, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Ironically, a lot of people had to die for that peace. And about the time Augustus was 60 years old, another king was born in Bethlehem. And he followed his father's calling. And his kingdom would come through bloodshed as well. His own. His own. Jesus redefined the meaning of kingdom and power and glory. Something that would be good for us to remember in this election season, don't you think? Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer both the night before His crucifixion and on the cross. In the garden, Jesus' prayer, Father, glorify Yourself. Father, not my will, but Thine be done. I have come to do Your will. And then on the cross, Jesus prayed for daily bread, not for Himself, but for His mother. Remember when He said to the Apostle John, Son, behold Thy mother. And then He said to His mother Mary, Woman, behold Thy son. And John took her till the day she died. Even on the cross, Jesus was making sure that the daily bread of his mother was being taken care of. And, and there at the cross, he cried, Father, forgive them. Jesus never had to pray forgiveness for his own sins. He was sinless. But he prayed for my sins, that the Father might forgive my sins and deliver us from evil. And Jesus did that by staying on the cross. By staying on the cross, we were delivered. So that 2,000 years later, we could share this prayer, which we're going to do in just a moment. 2,000 years later. Where's the Roman Empire? Oh, a piece of it's in this museum, a piece of it's in that museum. A thousand years from now, the United States of America will be the same. 
but the church of the living God, <sighs> led by a different kind of king who has redefined kingdom and power and glory, who lived the prayer he taught us, that king rules the heavens and the earth. And with joy in our hearts, we can pray together, church, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 